Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 29. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After Jesus had left that place, he passed along the Sea of Galilee, and he went up the mountain where he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, many others. They put them at his feet, and he cured them, so that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed whole, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, How many loaves do you have you? They said, Seven and a few small fish. Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all of them ate and were filled. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated, everybody. Thank you for the invitation uh, to be with you this afternoon and uh, it is quite terrifying I can tell you normally when I preach on a Sunday I get to run away <laughs> uh, maybe a cheery wave from a distance as I dash to the car to go from service one to service two to service three it is quite a horrific thought that in a few moments' time, I said to Linda precisely one hour and 50 minutes, <laughs> I will actually get to sit with you and eat. <laughs> and it kind of terrifies me a little bit. But what a joy to be with you, and what a joy to be able to be together around the Lord's table. For so long, we, we were impaired or, or distant or virtual, uh, and any time we have an opportunity to meet like this, it is precious. Uh, and I, I, I'm rejoicing to be with you this afternoon. I don't know if it's a new part of the CITI preaching program, uh, but the curate that uh, Morris mentioned earlier, uh, Emma, who's been with us in Balamina for a while, has a terrifying trick 
that she pulls uh, during her sermons, where she randomly, uh, for no specific reason, drops uh, a test director quiz into the middle of the sermon. <laughs> now, it means I dare not doze off. Uh, I have to be ready. I have to be willing to, to dive in and answer. Uh, and when those, when those rounds, the Bible round, comes up in any of our church quizzes, I kind of choose that moment not to be present, <laughs> if at all possible. Uh, so I'm going to begin this little reflection, this thought this evening, with a terrifying trap the rector question. And the entire theological reputation of CITI rests on the answer or lack of. Uh, so I hope you're with me. There are only two, I hope this is right, or this will get back to Emma. <laughs> there are only, I believe, two recorded miracles of Jesus in all four Gospels. The feeding of the big crowd, four or five thousand is one. What's the other? Either you are all wonderfully humble people, and you don't want to show off your intense biblical knowledge in front of your brothers and sisters, or you're a bit like me and panicking, think I should know the answer to this, but I'm not sure. Hand over the back. Jesus, Jesus resurrection. Amen. The resurrection. It's not a trick question. Now there will be scurrying back to studies and computers and Google and Wikipedia and all sorts of other things will be booted up to see if that is correct or not. So that is quite significant that one of our readings this evening is retold, is, is, is re-spoken in all four of the Gospels. But I really, this, this evening, I want to, rather than exegete one of the readings, I just felt that that wasn't the best use of our time. I want to share a reflection that has come through spending time with them all. Now, there's a bit of a Bermuda Triangle that involves Galway and Ballymena and Dublin. <laughs> uh, and and uh, we, we got most of it together through phone calls and, and Jane, with Jane's help. Uh, but I'm now going to play Trap the Rector. Uh, sorry, Linda. But if you want any information on the epistle reading at all, you'll have to ask Linda because I didn't get that one until just there now. <laughs> so I, I'm going to comment and reflect on the Psalm, the Isaiah prophecy, and the, the, the feeding of the big crowd. And, and Linda will answer all your other questions. <laughs> I, I guess as, as I grabbed moments with these passages of scripture, I kind of hungered for a, a unifying and an overarching theme. And the one that seemed to arrive uh, is that wonderful character of God, that name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Now I'm going to go back to Genesis 22 in a little while, but when you just for a moment think about the psalm, and, and we think about that intensely personal insight from a time in the spiritual life of David, the shepherd king, who talks about his shepherd king. 
there is surely um, an awareness and a deep appreciation of what God has provided in his life during all the ups and downs of his life. It's beautiful language. It is intensely private and personal and yet has become so important for so many in so many different settings. But there is a Jehovah Jireh at the middle of that psalm. There is then also that great, one of the great prophetic motifs of the Old Testament, this great coronation banquet, wedding banquet, coronation banquet that we encounter in Isaiah chapter 25. And how refreshing as we take our early steps into the season of Advent, of expectation, of waiting, uh, of the comings of the Lord, that we revisit one of those great prophetic motifs of what God has promised and what God will provide. There is a Jehovah Jireh element to that great prophetic vision. I do know that there is a little bit more than just the, the providing element to that title of God. There is a a perception element to that title of God as well. Uh, God who sees and who provides, uh, but it's chiefly that providing Father God that captured my imagination. And then I suppose of all the, the passages, the feeding of the large crowd has provision from start to finish. From the very beginning of the accounting of the miracle where there is spiritual provision going on in the teaching and the healing ministry of Jesus that is the setting for the gathering of such a crowd and then the the miraculously compassionate reaction of Jesus to the need of the crowd and his boundless love and powerful provision Jehovah Jireh, God who is a giving God, a providing God, seems to rise uh, as a central theme in each and all of these passages. And I, I, I rejoiced in the reminding and the rediscovering of not the full picture of who God is and what God does, but a revealed picture of part of who God is and what God does. And set alongside the fullness of revelation, there is a refreshing and there is a, a, a delightful aspect to this particular identity that God chooses to give us of himself. I suppose it is particularly timely <coughs> to have that identity of God renewed and that promise of provision renewed in the days we are traveling in. I, I know at times in the last year or so, I really wondered where, where are you? I mean, you know, the cry of many Psalms, where are you God? I cannot 
perceive your plans easily. I cannot sense your presence readily. And I wonder how I, as a Christian, teacher, evangelist, encourager in a local parish setting, can answer the questions that I know many of my people want to ask. And I guess, not just because there's been a slight normalizing of society, because there's not really. There seems to be a stumbling from one uncertainty to a new uncertainty. I have found a timeliness in my time with these scriptures that seem to speak the name of Jehovah Jireh afresh. That is who our God is. He declares it to be so here and elsewhere. And it is, it is to my spirit and my soul and my curiosity and my drive and my determination to try and see him and rejoice in him for who he is rather than what the circumstances of my life tell me he may have become or is no longer. I think we've all suffered a little bit from a blurring or a shifting in our ability to hold on to a clear vision of our God through all that has been happening <coughs> in the church, outside of the church, in our local family context, in our community context, in our national and global context. It is not easy to hold on to a clear vision of God. Never mind a clear vision of God who declares himself to be Jehovah Jireh. I want to add a little layer to this reflection because when, when I perceive Isaiah, when, when I perceive David, when I perceive the Son of God, Jesus, when I perceive the disciples, and a long gap, then I perceive followers of Christ today, there are unifying things for us all. And that takes me back to Genesis 22, to the, the Abraham and Isaac moments. Where this all began, this name was given to a place and an activity of God. Where that perfect sacrifice, that necessary sacrifice, was given at just the right time. And for all of these heroes of the faith, and all those who tried to follow Christ ever since, this Jehovah Jireh principle a God who has provided the perfect sacrifice at the right time. A God who then follows that up with a distinct call that cannot be ignored. A God who follows that up with the giving of the right gifts at the right time to enable us to answer a call of God. And a God that then promises and delivers on his promise to provide and protect us as we answer the call and try to live it out and follow its leading. And a God who places before us the rich promises of glory, that is the spiritual petrol pumps that we all need, what we reach for, what we hope to travel towards. Isaiah, David, 
the promised Son of God, the disciples he chose, and those who follow ever since, we're kind of all here because of that. We have perceived a perfect sacrifice that Jehovah Jireh has given. We have received a call of God that is persistent we cannot ignore. We have received gifts that allow us in different, unique, wonderful ways to be effective and answer the call. We have known God's protection and provision and we have the vision of his glory that keeps us going. There is a wonderful warmth and a symmetry to this Jehovah Jireh theme that runs right through these passages into the days in which we live that I think is worthy of much deeper thought than I can offer you tonight. But maybe God will provoke you to give it much deeper thought in your own time together. I guess then for me, as I prayed and journaled and, and read a little bit into this theme of these passages, my biggest challenge and my biggest self-application is to analyze and perceive within my own walk with God and my own ministry what happens when my vision of God gets blurred and to me I struggle to see God as Jehovah Jireh. And I think what happens to me, and I always ask the best person, which is my wife, to, to tell me what happens to me, and boy does she tell me what happens to me, uh, when, when, when I am in one of those periods of life and ministry where uh, I'm not where I should be, uh, and, and my vision of God is, is blurred or altered because of what's going on. And, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with my own analysis and hers. And, and it's simply this. What I begin to proclaim and what I begin to, to minister becomes all about me and nothing about God. I need to be needed. I need to be appreciated. I need to be everywhere. I need to be wanted. I need to be congratulated. Uh, as, as one uh, magazine article on this theme put it, uh, it is a strong condemnation. I engage in the ministry of personal indispensability. Now, that is a horrific thing. But you know, there, there is a truth in that. What do people in my parish, in your parish, in my family, in your family need? They need Jehovah Jireh. And I am to be signpost, <coughs> encourager, prayer partner, good Samaritan, preacher, confidant, counselor, I am to be all the glorious things that God the provider gives through the gifts and the calling and the privilege of, of personal and church ministry. But I need to point people to him. And I need to be dispensable. 
And there is something that goes on when my image and, and vision of God blurs because of tiredness or burnout or stress or, or lack of prayer time or, 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 or being molded by my life circumstances rather than gospel truth that begins to change my ministry and my preaching so it becomes about me. And people love me. And they think I am brilliant. And they even laugh at my jokes. My jokes are chronic. And they can't do without me. And they can't pray without me. And they can't understand the Bible without me. And they say lovely things to me like, Mark, don't you ever retire? I don't know what I'd do without you. Mark, don't you ever go to another parish? Because I don't know what we'd do without you. And I love to hear all of that. And it is all wrong. Because those folk need Jehovah Jireh for themselves. They need to be in that place of receiving the perfect sacrifice that God gives, of hearing the call of God in their lives that leads to salvation, of knowing his gifts that he gives them to lead faithful Christian lives, uh, to follow his vision and his promises for their life of faith. I can be the signpost and the encourager and the partner uh, along the road, but I cannot be it. So I am delighted to be reacquainted and re-encouraged and refocused and rearmed and rededicated to have a sharp vision of this aspect of the holy character and ministry of God in Jehovah Jireh. And I I need to spend this time in Advent, this time of expectation and positive waiting to see afresh the full implications of this title of God that breathes through these magnificent scriptures with so many layers and truths and priorities and challenges and to be sure that I am not practicing anything like the ministry of personal indispensability. But the opposite of that. That signposting, liberating, faith-dawning, sharing ministry that brings people to this God to know him for themselves. Friends, that is what I have to, to offer. I think we should take just a moment of quiet together. I encourage you to go for the jugular at tea time. And I pray that God will speak to you his truth through his word and what he chooses to reveal to you of his holy character and his desire to give to you.